Hey, all the Miles Mattered listeners. This is Neil Amato. I'm sitting on a stationary bike recording this voice memo that probably never sees the light of day, but I've been reflecting on the months since the show has ended. And the thing that's great about it is the connections that have been made through All the Miles Mattered. Just in a few day span in March, I was met at Tampa International Airport by Scott Crawford of the Long Red Row, who handed me a DVD and a VHS tape. You'll soon see evidence of that, uh, that treasure he handed over. It's coming to YouTube. Two days after that meeting at the airport, I got to shake hands with Pat McDonough at a track meet. He came out to see Coach Haley. Coach Haley was guiding some Largo runners, and we got to sit there as the sun set, and Coach Haley was still calling out splits at the 220 mark. It was awesome. And then a few days after that, I got to give Linda Haley a hug. I got to see my friend Brent Haley, the younger one, and also my friend Kelly, Coach and Linda Haley's daughter, and her husband Vince. It was a great reunion. Also, uh, gosh, probably about a month, maybe six weeks before that, I got to meet the Duggan brothers in person. They both live in North Carolina. I live in North Carolina. And we made it work. Danny Duggan and Chris Duggan of the Long Red Row. And it was great. It was like we had been friends forever. And so, you know, not everyone could run you know, 14.59 for three miles or 9.02 for two miles. But we're kind of all in it together as I'm still sitting on this stationary bike and getting a little winded, if you can't tell. I don't know. It was nice to, uh, to make those connections and to make connections with people by text, by email, on Facebook. And so thanks uh, for coming along for the run. Here are a few more stories that didn't quite make it into the, the first 15 episodes and my 15-minute construct. I hope you'll enjoy them. Been 50 years, but we've still got a lot to say. I mentioned earlier in the show that the day of the 1987 state meet was, in my opinion, the greatest single day in program history for Largo. And I don't think that at that time, people even knew it. Here's what I mean. First, Pat McDonough leads Largo to the 1987 state cross-country title. He wins the race individually, capping an unbeaten season for both him and the Packers. Second, Milan Moffitt wins the girls' individual title, her second cross-country title in a row. It was the first time in 4A history that two teams had the same state champion. It didn't happen in Class 4A again for 31 years. Third, in Evansville, Indiana, in the Division II NCAA championship meet, Chris Palmer finishes as an All-American. Here's why I think this matters. It truly happened on the same day. I don't think that connection was made until I did the research on it. But 
Chris Palmer's run in that Division II meet reflected how Coach Haley had guided his runners. If you've heard episode 14 or seen the YouTube of the State 2 Mile, you know that Pat McDonough ran even pace, and that's one of the big reasons he had a chance in that race. The whole notion of even pace was something that Coach Haley kind of hammered home with his runners. This was a thing ingrained in us from Coach Haley, and although he never articulated it this way, I articulate it as if you have a gas engine and you want to go the farthest distance at whatever speed, going an even speed is the most efficient and gets you there. Whereas if you uh, jam the accelerator and you rip out you know, the first I don't know, 400 yards, you're going to use more of that gas, and there eventually is a payback to that, and that's a lack of fuel at the end. Very similar kind of oxygen debt type of a thing, and it's so common to see people go out fast. The coach would always teach us to run as close to an evenly paced race as possible. All of our practices dealt with pace all the time. For me, my best race in college, I was in 60th place at the mile, and my coach, who was a sprinting coach, had a hemorrhage. And he's like, what are you doing? You got to get going. Because I was ranked in the top five and I was in 60th place and they all thought I was an idiot. But everybody went out nuts because they had the jitters. So you had a bunch of Roger Letchworth guys, like 60 of them, 59 of them going nuts. And I'm just running my pace. I think it was like 452 at the mile. And I ran virtually even pace the whole time. And just mile after mile would click off guys and click off guys and click off guys. And I finished fourth and got all American that day. But all I did was run my race, which was exactly what Coach Haley has taught everyone for years and years. So it really is a cultural thing that Pat did a great job of listening to and kind of believing in. And it, it was one of the biggest differences about us. Remember, Countryside used to fly getting of races. They, they'd have two or three guys just sprinting all out to get to the front. And uh, Coach always tells you guys, they were giving out ribbons at the mile mark, I'd say fine. <laughs> but nobody's giving out ribbons at the mile mark. Chris Palmer, indeed was an All-American at Troy State in 1987 in cross-country. That was a 10K race. He made up all those places over the remaining, I guess, 5.2 miles. He did say he finished fourth, but what he didn't say is who finished ahead of him. The champion that year was Charles Chariot, a 24-year-old Kenyan who was running at Mount St. Mary's out of Maryland. Charles Chariot finished sixth in the 5,000 meters in the 1984 Olympic Games. The second place finisher, also a Kenyan, also from Mount St. Mary's, went on to more fame as a runner after college, Peter Rono, who won the 1500 meters at the 88 Summer Olympics. And then the third place finisher in that Division II National Championship was Rod DeHaven of South Dakota State. Rod DeHaven was a standout marathoner. He's run 211.40 for a marathon PR. He was the only U.S. male marathoner to make the 2000 Olympics in Sydney. So that's a pretty impressive group that finished ahead of then 21-year-old Chris Palmer. In that clip, Chris Palmer mentioned the race that Pat McDonough ran his sophomore track season against Roger Letchworth and Michael Laval. Here's more on the runner who was on the start line that night but didn't get to cross the finish line. John Perlette is now an administrator at Oak Hall, a private school in Gainesville, where he has also been a coach to distance runners. Perlette ran at Buholes High for Mike Holloway, who's now the coach at the University of Florida. There's so many things to say about this race. I'd actually like to go back to John Perlette, the guy who false started and didn't get the chance to run. 
Do you ever talk to your runners about that, I don't know, kind of a teaching moment? Oh, absolutely. It's something that uh, I'm not necessarily proud of, as you might imagine, but it's something that happens, and it's a life lesson. And it's really in the context of how do you recover when things don't quite go your way. My goal going into that race was to win it, as ambitious as that was, knowing that Roger was there, knowing that Michael Laval was there. I mean, you talk about a fierce competitor. Nobody's fiercer than Michael Laval out of Boyd Anderson. It was a real disappointment. But what do you do from that? point do you fade away and and just give it up or or how do you recover you know it wasn't an easy process and at 18 years old when you've invested time and energy and a lot of effort into your sport and into the thing you love into the thing you're passionate about and then suddenly you have to exit without ever having competed in the race that you look most forward to for the season uh, it's a tough pill to swallow but you move on you know you find ways around it for me and for the kids that I've coached over the years that we've talked about it, it's been an opportunity for them to realize that not everything's going to go your way and that you're going to be faced with adversity that sometimes is beyond your control. Now, you know, did I have total control over my body? Yes. Was that completely my fault? Absolutely. I'm not blaming anybody other than myself, but how do you recover from that and what do you do? That's really the bigger context and the bigger conversation, the bigger life lesson. Several newspaper writers covered that race at Showalter Field in May 1986. I'm a former sports writer myself, coming along just a few years later, so one thing I was curious about was how the writers then got their articles into the next morning's paper. Because let's remember, there was no such thing as Wi-Fi networks or email or smartphones. I asked Lance Van Auken, who wrote for the Clearwater Sun in the mid-1980s, about covering nighttime events out of town and still getting the info into print. I didn't have great technology when I was sending in stories in the 90s, but how did you file your story in those days? Uh, I don't remember exactly um, because there was a time when you just dictated over the phone. But I think by then I might have had a Trash 80, a little uh, Radio Shack TRS-80 computer with um, phone couplers on it where you go to your car, you write the story, you drive to a 7-Eleven where there's a phone booth. You'd be sitting there holding the, this giant laptop on your, you know, sticking your leg up in the air and people are coming by going, what are you doing? They think you're like a secret agent or something. And, you know, you couple up the things to the, the couplers to the phone and you send it in electronically. It was a lot more trouble than it was almost worth, but it was better than dictating So despite those strange looks outside a convenience store, Lance Van Auken did indeed get his article in the next day's paper detailing Pat McDonough's 1986 two-mile state championship. That race was the focus of episode 14. It's also one full race that's on my YouTube channel, or you can find it at the following web address, tinyurl.com slash 86FLTRACK. Now fast forward two years to 1988 and the state track meet. Pat McDonough is a senior favored to win the two-mile. McDonough had won the fall cross-country title, the race that's the focus of episode 15, and earlier in that track meet, he had won the mile. That left him with one race to bring home what Coach Haley called the trifecta. That's the state championship in cross-country, the one-mile in track, and then the two-mile. McDonough did win that two-mile, becoming the second Largo runner to claim the trifecta. 
the other being Bart Sellers back in 1980-81. Largo and Lyman are the only two big schools in FHSAA history to have two runners each win those three titles in the same school year. Lyman's Teddy Mitchell and then Robert Evans also pulled off the trifecta for the Greyhounds. Here's Mitchell's Lyman teammate Nick Radkowicz talking about the 88 two-mile where the target was McDonough. In the interview, he mentions a photo from that race. I have since acquired that photo, and I'll share it on my Instagram account. That's neil.amato, and also on the All the Miles Mattered Facebook page. The state meet was the two-mile against McDonough again, and he went out like he was the only person on the track. You know, just took the lead, kept going, and I just latched onto the back of him and just hung on and he basically pulled me around that track for two miles and you know i ended up getting second there was a cover of what florida runner i think i don't know if you have a copy of that oh i wish i did yeah i i have a copy of it at home i think i can i can send it to you oh but a photo of that would be amazing yeah it's it's an amazing picture i that's why i think i still have a copy of it but it was the two of us going like around the corner like with the you know at night lights so it's really lit kind of cool but yeah i was i was close enough to him at that point that you know we both got in the picture that was kind of nice but you know unlike cross country i was set up to try to beat him in that race and so you know definitely totally different mentality different preparation so mcdonough doubled did the mile and the two miles so it was a little bit of a you know I don't know if it's unfair is the word, but of a strategic. Yeah, you were fresh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Strategic play um, that Teddy would, you know, race him in the mile and then come back and do the two mile. And I would be ready to go in the two mile and try to beat him. And, And I hung on for dear life. And I literally remember that that's how I felt. Like, I felt like there was a tether between the two of us and he was just going and I was just getting dragged behind him. And um, I ended up getting second in that race again for me that was my first track season so i was just kind of blown away at how fast he actually ran that two mile because i think i ran 924 and i think like maybe the last 600 he pretty much opened up that big gap on me you know i kind of hit the wall at that point i hung out as long as i could and then he just kind of accelerated away and kept going that was pat mcdonough's last race against fhsa competition now many people have asked me Whatever happened to this guy or that guy after high school? And McDonough is certainly one of those that I've been asked about. He ran at the University of Florida, helping the Gators to a top six NCAA finish in cross country. He was a solid contributor, yes, but not truly a standout. And I'd say that McDonough's academic focus was one reason for that. Here's Dan Middleman, one of McDonough's college teammates. Yeah, he's an architect, all right. I remember him majoring in architecture. That really took it out of him, man. That's what Coach Haley told me, that he was so busy studying for architecture that he wasn't sleeping but three to four hours a night. Yes, that's correct. In college, you know, obviously on the same team, we shared, you know, a lot of sweat and spit and puke and stuff. And and he would be telling me, he's getting three or four hours a night. And I'd be like, Pat, man, you can't live on that. But he didn't have a choice. We called it the ARCA torture program. Now, going back to that high school race, As for Nick Radkowicz, well, he and Lyman teammate Teddy Mitchell went on to be great competitors, but in different events. Teddy Mitchell would win an NCAA 10,000-meter title on the track for Arkansas. 
Nick Radkowicz became an Olympian. He competed for the U.S. the first time triathlon was an Olympic sport. Recall that Dan Middleman was also an eyewitness to the fall 1986 cross-country race at Van Cortlandt Park, the one where Letchworth came across the finish line first in apparent record time. That was episode 12 of the show that included a comment from one of the competitors that day who saw Roger run immediately to the front and called that move, quote, suicidal, end quote. Roger was known to go out fast. It happened in cross country. It happened in the state two mile. And Seminole runner Keir Breitenfeld, in reflecting about races against Roger, recalls it also happening one time when Letchworth tried to run an 880 in a track invitational back in the day. Now, Roger was fast for sure, but that race was not his specialty. Here's Breitenfeld about Roger and also some about Pat McDonough. Same thing, though. He went out like a bat out of hell. And, yeah, I mean, he had at least 15, 20 on me and then just slowly faded back to me. <laughs> but I sometimes think, had that been Pat, I don't know that I would have killed myself to win. You know what I mean? Not that I didn't want to, but it's nobody I wanted to beat more than Roger Westworth, right? Because this is a guy who was just... I always kind of wonder, like, did my respect for Pat get in the way sometimes? Um, but he was a great runner. I mean, there's no way. I mean, the guy was just heads and tails above. But I think I had this burning need to give Letchworth a run. But that, that race you're talking about where Pat won, I mean, that is a great anchor point for your story. It really is. I've got more bonus material upcoming because, again, I heard so many great stories, not all of which fit in the first 15 episodes. So look for that future content where you'll hear more about Leto's hidden disadvantage when it came to competing against Largo, Nick Radkowicz's recall of racing against Lance Armstrong, and Roger Letchworth's friend Craig Florio discussing his visit to the park that hosted the Countryside Invitational. That park held a lot of special meanings for him. I think he had a lot of success in the park. He loved it. He loved running there. I think his spirit is still there. The best way to be aware of the new episodes is to follow the show on platforms such as Apple Podcasts or Spotify, where you can receive notifications when the episodes are posted. Thanks again for coming along for the run.